0: Well, good morning, church. Praise the Lord for another opportunity that he gives us to gather together and to look into his word and be encouraged. I wanna invite you to pray with me before we get into God's word. Father, your church is before you this morning, and we pray that you would humble us As we were singing these glorious truths of the gospel, may we continue to dwell on them as we open up your word and as we go um, to this special passage of scripture that you would instruct us. Father, what a privilege it is to be called your children, to be loved by you. But it is just as amazing that we sinners can be used by you can be employed in your service. And we understand that even as you call us to serve in your body, you are the one who equips us. You give us all things that we need in order to minister to one another. And I pray that as we look at this passage, that you would just stir in us the desire to love Christ by loving one another all the more. As we look at Paul, as we look at his companions, as we look at this passage that we oftentimes skip over, teach us much and remind us what it's like to be in your family. We praise you. Bless me to be clear and bless all the hearers to respond properly to this instruction because we are hearing from you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's holy name we pray and ask. Amen. Church, if we are honest, and as Christians uh, we should be, um, we will admit that there are parts of Scripture that we, you know, skip over. And there are parts of Scripture that seem to us more relevant than others, more engaging, more applicable than others, right? I mean, I, I'm sure we've come across these passages. There are passages that we, when we open up to them, we slow down and we focus on every single phrase and every single word. And we prayerfully consider the implication of what the author tells us. And then there are passages that we just skim over. For example, one such passage is found in the Old Testament, First Chronicles. If any of you read First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, they contain Israel's genealogy, okay? And just fun fact, in these nine chapters, there are 886 male names, Jewish male names, okay? It's very hard to pronounce. There are 25 female names, and then there are 25 names of various groups of people, So all in just nine chapters of scripture. So in our yearly plan, when we come to these chapters, we are tempted to question God's wisdom because we see absolutely no devotional value in these chapters. Um, What profit is there for me to read 936 names back to back to back and just a bunch of conjunctions? That's all we get in the first nine chapters of Chronicles. Well, I would say that the New Testament equivalent of 1 Chronicles 1 through 9 are all the verses that are located in the back of every single one of Paul's letters. You know those three or four verses that are there where Paul just rattles off a bunch of names, and they're also very hard to pronounce, and we just skip over to the amen And we're excited to launch into the next book of the Bible. And for many, Colossians chapter four, seven through 18 is easy to pass over. But for us, I think we can learn much if we just look closer at this passage. So I wanna remind you or invite you to turn to this passage, Colossians chapter four. As Jan mentioned, we are inching closer to finishing off this book. Uh, We have this morning and also next Sunday, we will finish off Colossians. I believe we began Colossians in March um, of this year, but we'll be done here in this book of Colossians. We would say by looking at this book that the meaty sections are, are over with. You know, all the commands that Paul had to offer, they're behind us. And so as we come to this section, only the formalities remain. And sometimes we look at these verses and we're like, well, these names, they're probably are familiar to the original audience, original context. But to us, what is there to learn? We don't want to burden ourselves with with trying to get into these verses. But here's the lesson for us. In these verses, we see the application of the gospel that Paul had preached to these believers in his ministry. Paul had modeled and demonstrated the power of the gospel in the Christian ministry. We're often tempted to think that Paul was this, you know, superstar Christian who turned the world upside down all by himself, often left by himself, you know, with God alone, pleading for God's mercy. And although that is true to some extent in this letter, we see a radically different picture. Paul, In all of his letters, he mentions over 100 people by name in his 13 New Testament letters. If you go to Romans 16 alone, he mentions 26 people there in Romans 16. Here in in Colossians 4, he mentions 10 individuals. And the point is, Paul could not survive in the Christian life alone. In the Christian ministry alone, he was in deep relationships with people in all the churches that he founded or somehow caused to grow in Christ. You know, that feeling it's when you watch a movie, you watch a movie and you get caught up with the lead actor. And you think towards the end of the movie, that the only reason this movie is what it is. If it's a good one, it's because of the lead character who made that movie. That's it. When you share with friends and when you talk about this particular scene or that, you focus on the lead guy. The lead guy always gets the Oscar, right? The lead guy always is the most prominent until you get to the end of the movie and all the credits start showing up. And we usually just turn it off. We're done with the movie. But the point of that is you're not done with the movie. Why? Because they're trying to give credit where credit is due. They're trying to give credit to every single person who contributed at least in some way, not in any leading role, but in some way to the overall product that you all enjoyed. And I think this right here in Colossians four, beginning with verse seven, Paul just kind of opens up the curtain. And even though he is the author of this letter, he lets us in on all the people who impacted him, who impacted his ministry and who ultimately impacted this particular church in Colossae. The gospel ministry is just like that. Paul valued and and in fact sought partnership in the gospel because he went out to recruit all types of people. When it came to Christian service, all hands were on deck to serve the body of Christ. And so let us read here in chapter four, beginning with verse seven. I'll read through the end, but we'll only study through verse 14 this morning. And then we'll pick up next week and finish off the letter. So this is it. These are the ending credits. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord will bring you information for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Eustace, or Justice. These are the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God, who are from the circumcision and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you all. And for those who are in Laodicea and Herapolis, Luke, the beloved physician sends you his greetings and Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And this is the ending of Paul's letter. And as we look at these verses here this morning, I want us to to think about this overall theme that God designed us Christians to be partners in God's ministry. God designed us to be partners in God's ministry. No one can do everything in God's kingdom but everyone can do something. So because God designed us that way, no one person can do everything, but everyone can do something. And as we look at this text, we'll see Paul's t- team. And I want us to look at five um, characteristics of the team uh, that, that comprised this um, gospel outreach. I want us to look, first of all, that Paul's team consisted of faithful servants, faithful servants. Second, we're going to look at his team consisting of devoted caregivers, devoted caregivers. Number three, restored deserters, restored deserters. Number four, fervent prayer warriors, and finally specialized workers. So, We're going to go through each one as we move verse by verse, and we're going to analyze and see where do we all fit in in the work of Christ's kingdom. Number one, I want us to look, beginning with verse four, that Paul's team consisted of faithful servants. In our previous study through Colossians, I I tried not to jump to many cross references outside of this book, choosing to focus on the immediate context or the context uh, of the whole. But this morning. Uh, We have this concluding section where Paul drops 10 names. Some of the names are just simply given there without any further context around them. So we'll be going through other passages to get a little bit more insight into who these people are so that we can learn a little bit more from them. So in verse 7, we come to Tychicus. As to all my affairs, Tychicus or Tychicus, some pronounce it our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord. Now, according to Acts chapter 20, Tychicus, he is a native of the Roman Proverbs in Asia, and his name means fortunate. His name means fortunate. First time he comes up is Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where Paul is in Ephesus, and he plans to go to Macedonia. Uh, He wants to collect some money from all the Gentile churches in order to help the church that is poor in Jerusalem by this time. And in order to emphasize the unity of the gospel that now Gentiles and Jews, they can come together and they can support one another in the ministry of God's work. And so Tychicus here, he joins Paul on this journey to go to Jerusalem and right away This shows what kind of man this Tychicus was. He was a faithful servant with a sacrificial heart. He he chooses to leave behind his home, his friends, his local church there. And to go on this journey with Paul in order to serve him, he considers himself a partner in the gospel. And it's very instructive when you read um, through the book of Acts. When Paul sets out on his journey to go to Jerusalem, many people warn him of the dangers that will take place. And even like asking Paul, are you sure about going to Jerusalem? Because you know what you're going to expect there. And so as they were questioning Paul, obviously his whole entourage, his whole team that was traveling with Paul to Jerusalem, probably were asking themselves the same question. Am I ready to go where Paul is heading? Am I ready to endure the kind of hardship and Tychicus never bails? In fact, in a few years later, we see here, Colossians, Paul is in Rome. He is still with Paul as Paul concludes writing this letter to Colossians. Now, Tychicus, according to verse seven, is a designated uh, messenger because verse seven says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus will update you on everything that is going on here. But look at the qualities of this man. He says, he is our beloved brother. He belongs into the family of Christ. He has accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord. And and not only that, he is our beloved brother. We love him. Paul loved and appreciated the care of this man. Beloved brother, but also a faithful servant. He says he will bring information about me, about our team here in Rome To the church in Colossae as to all my affairs, he will update you. He will bring you information. And in bringing this information, what Tychicus is going to do, he's actually going to take this letter that Paul is finishing up right now. He's going to take the scroll and he's going to walk over to Colossae and deliver this letter so that this letter can be read in the hearing of the entire church. But he's not only carrying this letter if we look at Ephesians chapter six verse twenty-one, Paul writes this to another church in Ephesus. He says, "But that you also may know about my circumstances, I am wh- uh, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you." So apparently, this brother, this beloved brother and faithful servant, he's not only carrying one letter, Colossae, Colossian letter, he's also carrying a second letter, right? The letter to the church of Ephesus, many conclude that that letter was not directly addressed to the church of Ephesus, but that was a circulating letter. So he's taking that that letter and delivering it there. But that's not all. That's not all because he's actually carrying a third letter. He's carrying a third letter to Philemon, to Philemon. Uh, If you remember when we did our introduction to Colossians, Paul is in jail In Rome, and during this time, he writes four letters. Okay, four letters. One we read, Mike read to us at the beginning, Philippians. He writes Philippians, he writes Ephesians, he writes Colossians, and he writes Philemon. Now, we're going to talk about Philemon and Onesimus in just a little bit, but this brother here, Tychicus, is so trustworthy that Paul gives him three letters that he just wrote. With a lot of doctrine, he hands it to him, and he expects him to go to all of these cities to deliver these letters. But check this out. He's not just a mailman. This man is not just a mailman. He is, he says, an encourager. He will comfort your heart. He will bring you information that he may, verse 8, encourage your heart. So he's a beloved brother. He is a faithful servant. He's also a fellow bond servant of the Lord. And here's the thrust of this passage in serving Paul. Tychicus knew that he was serving the Lord. What united him to Paul was their common allegiance to Christ in his ministry. They were yoked together in ministry because they acknowledged the same Lord, Jesus Christ. I think this is the point that's often overlooked in our service we don't we don't often think about this but those of us who who serve in any capacity in this church or in other churches we should be serving Christ as slaves of Christ as bond slaves of Christ why because he bought us with his blood he bought us he redeemed us it says in first chapter of Colossians, he redeemed us and we belong to Christ and he enrolls us in his ministry for the sake of the saints. But you know something else, Tychicus wasn't just a messenger who could be trusted with delivering letters and and updating people about their circumstances. But if you fast forward to Paul's ministry later on, we find that Paul actually sent this man, Tychicus, to be an interim pastor in Ephesus, If you read 2 Timothy 4, 12 and 13, Paul says, but Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. He's writing to Timothy. I've sent Tychicus to you. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with corpus and the books, especially the parchment. So the way it seems to work is that Paul actually sought this faithful brother, not only as a mailman and as an encourager, but he sent him so that he can take over in the interim for Timothy, who will then come and see Paul before Paul dies and goes to be with the Lord. And every time this brother is mentioned, he is faithfully serving, doing whatever needs to be done for the kingdom of God. He is faithful. He is loyal. He loves the Lord. This brother loves Paul, and he'll do anything for the continual spread of the gospel. And because of his, millions, or because of his diligence and his faithfulness, think about this, millions of Christians are able to read Colossians and benefit and grow are able to read Ephesians and benefit and grow, are able to read Philemon because of this man's diligence. But Tychicus is not the only person here. Consider verse nine. And with him, Paul says, I'm going to send Onesimus, Onesimus. Many of you know Onesimus. We've had a couple of sermons from Philemon a few years back. But Onesimus is better known as the runaway slave of Philemon. And he's the main subject in his letter, in Paul's letter to to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus, he lived in Colossae. For whatever reason, he ran away from his master, Philemon. Somehow in the providence of God, he runs into Paul, whether he does something crazy in Rome and gets locked up. And then Paul and, and Onesimus like, hey, buddy. Uh, Start talking and Paul preaches the gospel to him and he repents. Or maybe he knew of Paul somehow and sought Paul in prison. But anyways, he was led to Christ by Paul. And then Paul, basically in Philemon, his whole goal is to address the situation and tell Philemon, his master, that I'm going to send your slave back to you. Please accept him, not as a slave anymore but as a brother in Christ, but as a brother in Christ, look what he says in, in Philippians, there's only one chapter, verse 10. I appeal to you for my child in whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. And then he says, you know what? Perhaps it was in God's wisdom that he ran away from you so that he can repent here in Rome. And so that you may receive him no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. I mean, this is amazing. Onesimus will go back to Tychicus, back to Colossae to see his master Philemon with hope that this master will forgive him and accept him as a dear brother in Christ. And and the way he, he characterizes this brother, look at verse nine. And with him, Onesimus, our fellow and beloved brother, beloved and faithful brother, Here's another reminder of the theme of the entire book of Colossians. God, through the gospel of Christ, saves and renews, as Paul says, anyone, right? A renewal, chapter 3, verse 11, if you were to look at, uh, flip back to the previous chapter, look with me at chapter 3, verse 11. A renewal, he says, in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so all of a sudden now this slave who was outside of God's family, he comes to join in the family of God. But not only is he just beloved brother and faithful brother, but when he wrote to Philemon, he says that this brother is actually very useful. He's very faithful in service now. He says in verse, verses 11 through 13 of Philemon, who formerly this brother Onesimus was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Basically what Paul is saying, this brother has only been saved here for, I don't know a few short days, weeks, maybe months, and he's already proving useful to me. His name actually means Onesimus actually means useful. And so he's kind of does the play on words. He's like, he was useless, he was not Onesimus, but now he's actually living up to his name. He's being useful to me in ministry. And just like Tychicus Onesimus demonstrates his faithfulness in ministry immediately after his conversion, so much so that Paul is kind of reluctant to release him and to send him back to his master. And you know what else? In his commentary. John MacArthur cites that archaeologists found the letter written by Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, a few short years after the New Testament era. Well, in this letter, Ignatius, who is a pastor of the church in Smyrna, he writes to Colossians and he says this, quote, since in the name of God, I received your entire congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your pastor, I beseech you in Christ Jesus to love him and all who are like him." End of quote. The statement may mean that Onesimus actually became the pastor of the church in Colossae. And if it's true, what an ending to the story, right? What an ending to the story. Friends, in much the same way, the church today rallies and relies on on faithful servants who love the Lord and and commit to one another so that God's work can continue to prosper. Look, we are reminded that the church is not a one-man show. It was never meant to be a one-man show. The church effort is a team effort consisting of faithful ministers in charge of various tasks, however minimal or however great they may be. Tychicus was a faithful men in small things and was raised up even to replace a pastor. Onesimus here was a recent convert and he immediately proved to be useful and fruitful in ministry. And friends praise the Lord that even here at grace Hill, we have a lot of people who are faithful just like these men are, you know, especially now during this season where some people had to step back from ministry. We saw that many of you, stepped up to the plate to serve in various capacities, to put your giftedness to work and your abilities and to pray and to minister to saints. What a gift you are to the church, brothers and sisters. It's really encouraging to see as we read here Paul's portrait that we can look at our church and see similar things. And in talking to many of you who are serving, you're communicating and we're encouraged to hear that your motivation is to serve Christ. That is why you serve. You're doing it as bond slaves of Jesus. Look, if the great apostle Paul needed a team to further the work of the gospel, what to speak of us? What to speak of us? We need to rally around one another to get the work done. So first we see that Paul's team consisted of faithful servants, but second here, Paul's team consisted of the devoted caregivers, devoted caregivers. You know, when you're a leader like Paul, heavily involved in ministry, you not only need faithful servants and co-laborers, but also you need people around you who can feel your burden, who can carry your burden, who can become your encourager. You know, their primary concern uh, of this group or of these people is not to take care of programs is not just to have another ministry, not to get involved in great things. No, their primary role is to care and to encourage fellow ministers. And that is so, so vital and so important, and that's why Paul surrounded himself with such men. In verses 10 and 11, Paul brings up his Jewish brothers, co-workers, Aristarchus, Mark, and Eustace. And he says about Aristarchus, he is my fellow prisoner Verse 10, he sends you his greetings. He was a Macedonian Jew from Thessalonica, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And he joined Paul then, and he actually was one of the guys who experienced the shipwreck uh, on the island of Malta, according to Acts 27. And here Paul describes him as a fellow prisoner, literally means one who is caught with a spear. War captive, prisoner of war. And it's unclear if he actually was doing time like Paul in prison for speaking the gospel, for preaching the gospel. Or if he just said, you know what, Paul, you're in there and I'm going to commit to you to serve you and to encourage you just willingly to be by your side. I think since he mentions this, my fellow prisoner, I think it indicates that Aristarchus, actually did some time for the gospel maybe not currently but before and that's why he identifies him as a prisoner a fellow prisoner so paul is doing time for speaking the gospel and he's locked up and i believe this man is doing time but whatever the case may be what a testimony what a testimony of this man's faithfulness to a fellow brother a fellow minister Now, we'll talk about Mark in just a minute, but skip over to Eustace and also Jesus, who is called Eustace or Justice. You know, any of you ever looked up your name on Google to find out what it means? And if you're living up to it. Like, do that. If if you don't know what your name means, maybe you should look it up and and see, you know, how you're doing. Um, My name, for instance, uh, comes from Greek name. Timotheos, which means honor to or honoring God, which is a pretty high calling, right? Um, parents uh, put a lot of pressure on me when they named me Timothy. But then I started studying this verse and in verse 11, and look at this guy's name. And also Jesus, who is called Eustace, Jesus is savior Okay, Savior, and justice is to be just or righteous. So this guy's name is Jesus, the righteous one. Okay, so talk about living up to, to that name. Um, We don't know anything else about this man other than that he's a Jew. He is from the circumcision. Paul says. And these are the only Jews who got behind Paul and surrounded him in ministry. I mean, it's hard to believe to how many Jews Paul ministered throughout his lifetime in ministry. And only three guys of his fellow brothers, three Israelites, three Jews actually stuck around with Paul and said, Paul, I believe what you believe. I accept Jesus Christ as my savior, just like you accept him. And I'm willing to suffer and go as far as you go for Jesus Christ. It's amazing what he says. These are the only fellow, look at this workers for the kingdom of God who are from circumcision. The rest are Gentiles. And look what he says in verse 11. And they prove to be an encouragement to me. Even though there are only three these men are gold in my ministry. The, the term here to be an encouragement means to comfort, to give care, to to provide soothing relief. Like when something, you're, you're feeling sharp pain and then you take medicine and, and it relieves you of that sharp pain, That's that's what these men are doing. They're coming alongside Paul and they are, giving him care. They are soothing his pain. They are encouraging him to keep going. Church, let me tell you how these caregivers and how these encouragers, they're so important in ministry, no matter where you serve the Lord. You need fellow saints who will stand with you, who will provide support, relieve when it's most needed so that the work of Christ in ministry will not suffer. Consider Aristarchus, Eustace, along with Mark. Imagine what kind of pressure these men were under. Just three out of the entire nation who trusted Christ, who forsook the law and everything else that was promised to them in the Old Testament and said, I'm going to suffer with this man. And they were great encouragers. It takes these men for ministry to be successful. So we have faithful servants, we have devoted caregivers, but Paul's team also included restored deserters, number three, restored deserters. And I want to look at Mark real real quick here. Um, He mentions Mark in verse um, 10, and he says this, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. When he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark's given name was John, actually. Mark is his Latin name. And we encounter Mark in Acts chapter 13. We read that Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas during their first missionary trip. However, during their time of ministry, something happened. Maybe the pressures of ministry, things got really difficult. And Mark just said, forget it. And he it literally says that he deserted them and left, went back to Jerusalem. He said, I can't handle this pressure of ministry, and I'm out. Two chapters later in Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas now are thinking about, hey, we should go back, revisit the churches, plant some more. Second missionary trip, they're having this discussion, and Barnabas is like, okay, we're going to take up Mark, and we're going to go with him. Paul says, no way. No way. We're not taking Mark, because Mark's track record with Paul was not very good. And so the conversation got so heated that Barnabas and Paul even split up. And Barnabas took Mark with him and went, and Paul took Silas with him and started doing ministry. Now, what happened, um, I, I, I think here in verse 10, That is why Paul writes, he says, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. The reason why he has to put these things in is because Mark, I think, had a reputation of being a deserter, of being a failure here. And I think one of the reasons, one of the clues here that we get why Barnabas wanted Mark to be with him is here. He he is his cousin, so that's perhaps one of the reasons why he wanted to grab with him. But what happened to Mark? All of a sudden here, we see Paul and Mark are ministering on the same team. And he says, this guy is not only just on the same team, but he's now encouraging me. Paul, I thought you didn't want him with you in ministry. What happened to him? Well, I think we get a possible clue in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Peter writes two saints scattered and he writes this at the very end, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark, my son, Mark church. If any man knew what it's like to fail, certainly Peter knew how to fail. Remember what happened to Peter? He denied Christ three times, but fortunately Peter also knew how to deal with failures. Having been restored by Christ after his resurrection So most likely he took Mark under his wing and discipled him. And that's why he said, by the way, Mark, my son, my son greets you also. Perhaps that's why here in verse 10, Paul instructs the church. When he comes to you, accept him, brothers. Church in Colossae, don't look down on this brother. He is now restored. The Lord brought him back into ministry. He's now faithful. Include him in the spread of the gospel. And here's a reminder, friends, that there's always hope for failures. You know, God gives second chances. Paul knew it. He was a living second chance. And he recruited Mark again and was not resistant to using him in ministry. Mark ended up encouraging him just like Aristarchus and Eustace. Like Mark, I want to encourage those of you who perhaps are wavering in your service to one another Look at Mark, consider his example. You know, maybe you bailed in service before and we you feel like you can't resume back your ministry. Renew your focus. Identify your line of ministry. Pray and get back to being a partner in the gospel work. Maybe you as a fellow believer, you see someone wavering in, in their service. Pull them aside. I mean, pray with them. Get them back to focus on Christ and bring them back in serving the body. I mean, aren't you glad that God not only restores but enlists you back into ministry so that Paul can say, Mark is a fruitful encourager in my ministry? I mean, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want us to look at also in verses 12 and 13, fervent prayer warriors fervent prayer warriors. Look with me at verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greeting. If you remember in chapter one, Epaphras was introduced to us in verse seven, and he was the man who brought the gospel to Colossae. So he was probably the founding pastor of this church. One of your number, he says, Epaphras, who is one of your number. And as the congregation began to grow and develop, what happened is the heresy, the Gnostic heresy, Colossian heresy is what they call it brought in to the church. And now this guy Epaphras, he's not sure how to deal with it. And so he cares for the church so much that he travels from Colossae To Rome in order to get some feedback, get some instruction. Paul, how are we supposed to deal with the onslaught of heresy that is happening in Colossae? Tell me what to do. And so he goes back. And as he's getting instruction, probably spending day and night with Paul, look what he is doing. Paul says that this man is laboring for you in his prayers. He is laboring earnestly. This brother is a pastor who cares and who labors for his sheep he's praying for this church and he's praying for the church in Laodicea and Herapolis two neighboring churches that were about 10 miles away from Colossae it's like from here to Roseville three churches perhaps he was a church planter he was the one who planted these churches and he is praying Lord would you please sustain these Christians so that what they wouldn't grow cold in faith because of the heresy Look what he says. He has deep concern, verse 13. He has a deep concern for you. This this word, deep concern, literally means pain. He has deep pain, an intense pain. Paul just wants them to know, as he's finishing up this letter, he says, here's your pastor. and, And you know what he's doing? He is hurting over you right now. Why? He does not want you to fail. And what does he do? He's praying for the church. Why is he hurting? Because he is laboring in his prayers. He's not out on vacation. He didn't go to Rome just to say, you know what? The church situation is pretty bad. I need to get out. And I need to rest. I'm done battling. He didn't do that. He's not retreating from problems at home. What he's doing is he's working hard in prayer. He just told the church, If you look at verse 2 of chapter 4, to pray, to be devoted to prayer. And he brings up their own pastor who is doing just that. He says he's agonizing in this intense and fervent prayer, knowing that this is how the Lord is going to sustain his church. MacArthur says, prayer is not simply flipping up little thoughts to God it is agonizing it is struggling it is wrestling with god like jacob and saying i am not letting you go until you bless me god you know one very interesting verse in, in first or in romans 15 verse 30 it says this paul writes and at also towards the end of the letter he says now i urge you brethren by our lord jesus christ and by the spirit of the love and, and by the love of the spirit here it is to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. This word strive together literally means to fight. He's not saying just, you know, spend five minutes in your prayers for me. When you pray for food, remember that I'm laboring for the gospel. No, he says, when I want you motivated by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit that unites us, I want you to fight in your prayers for me. This is incredible. Incredible. This is why Epaphras is a prayer warrior. He's not just offering things to God. He is fighting. What is he fighting for? Paul says, he is fighting that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. He is fighting and laboring that these Christians back home, their churches would be complete in the will of God would be made mature in God's will. It's the same word that Paul used earlier on in chapter one, verse 28, where he says, we proclaim Christ. We admonish every man. We teach every man so that we may present every man mature and complete in Christ. And that is why Paul prays in verse nine of chapter one saying in order to do this, yes, I preach the word of God, but I labor like crazy in prayer for you. We do not cease to pray and to ask that God would do that for you. The will of God here does not refer to the discovery of some kind of divine you know, direction, but to live a life according to the will that's revealed in scripture. This pastor wanted his people to grow in Christ so that when he is in Rome, He goes and he seeks out, and as he is getting help there, he's praying that the Lord would sustain his sheep back home. This brother had a right view of ministry, and we have much to learn from him. I have much to learn from him. Every pastor, every life group leader among us, every parent and every minister of the gospel should have the same desire Pray and point your people, your children, your ministries, whoever it is that the Lord has put you in charge over, point them to the word by which they are going to be built up in Jesus Christ. But prayer is so important. Church, and once again, we face with this question, are we, are we praying for one another? I mean, this is certainly convicting to all of us on, on all fronts, and like Epiphras. Will you join in the ministry of prayer, praying for us pastors to accurately handle the word of God so that we may, as we explain, encourage the church to fulfill what the scripture requires us to do. And for the hearers, for the word to be effective in our hearts, that it would transform us so that we would, like Paul writing to Corinthians, be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Will you pray for other ministers and their service here at Grace Hill so that they too would point to Christ and be built up? Church, passionate prayer warriors are indispensable to effective ministry. Passionate prayer warriors are indispensable to effective ministry. I hope you're beginning to see the story is much bigger than Paul here. Ministry is much wider than one man. Tychicus and Onesimus are part of the story. Archippus, Aristarchus, Marcus, Eustace are part of the ministry. Their beloved pastor, Epaphras, is is playing a huge role here. He's part of the plan. No one serves and runs alone in the church. And finally, I want you to consider this one more point, specialized workers, specialized workers. He mentioned here at the end of verse 15, or at the beginning of verse 15, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. We know from Acts that Luke was probably with Paul a lot, and he was probably his personal physician, personal doctor. And you may think, wow, Paul, you've climbed so high to have your own personal doctor accompany you in ministry. That's pretty cool. But um, when you get rocks thrown in your head, you need someone to patch you up every once in a while. And that's why he accompanied Paul and helped him. And you know what Luke teaches us here this morning is that not everyone in gospel ministry has a seminary degree. In fact, most of the people in the church who are serving faithfully, they don't have a seminary degree and they will never get seminary degree. They don't need this theological degree. Only a few people do, but many of the faithful servants They have other degrees. They have other forms of training. They have other skills and abilities to contribute, what? To the work of ministry. To his saints. To further the work of God. Partnership in the gospel not only enlists the guys with master's degrees in theology. Partnership in the gospel enlists every single saint to contribute with their giftedness and abilities that the Lord gave them. And it's great to see even in our church, specialized workers stepping up in various ministries. You have abilities, natural inclinations. You have guys who are wired differently, tech guys who are helping out in media. That is great. It furthers the progress of the gospel. Thank you guys who are serving there in the back, who are coming in and and setting up every single Sunday So that we can broadcast these services and serve people. We want to thank those who are in charge of video and photography, taking care of these ministries, using their abilities to propagate the gospel through the digital medium. Accountants who are serving in the body, musicians who have inclinations that others don't have in order to lead people in the worship of God and many, many more those of you who are wondering how you can put your gift and ability to work, come see us. As we wrap up our study, I want to just make three short observations about the gospel in this section. Number one, the gospel unites diverse groups of people. I mean, Paul was basically in every single book that he wrote, he emphasized this one person that the gospel is not only for the Jew, the gospel is for everyone. And here, this list We have all kinds of people. We have slaves. We have masters. We have Jews. We have Gentiles. We have male. Female is coming up here at the end of this chapter as well. Everybody, right? Different socioeconomic classes. Everyone is united in Christ and are enlisted in ministry to further the gospel. So the gospel unites diverse groups of people. And by God's grace, we want to reflect as our body this diversity as well. Not only in those who come and participate with us in service, but those who actually serve, number two, the gospel produces supernatural love and fellowship. I mean, this is just amazing when you look at paul and and, and uh, consider observe all the words that he's using for love, like Paul is not afraid to elevate other people this is just it's amazing. This guy is beloved and I love this dude. And this guy is so encouraging and and praise God for them. He's going around his ministry team and he's elevating everyone up and saying, if it wasn't for them, I would not be in the position that I am right now. I need them just as much as they need me. Oh, this is so amazing brothers and sisters. This is the kind of fellowship that is reflected when, we understand the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It is not about our service. It is not about our ministry. It's about us being privileged to participate in the work of our chief shepherd, the senior pastor, 1 Peter chapter five, and be enlisted by him to do this work. And number three, the gospel ministry requires the commitment of all the saints in ways God had prescribed to each. As I said, that no ministry is a one man job. No matter how great they might be, the entire church, and in fact, we'll see at the end here of this letter, multiple churches, right, are engaged in gospel ministry. It requires faithful servants, fellow caregivers, It enlists restored deserters, fervent prayer warriors, and all kinds of specialized workers to get this job done. But as one body works together, they work together for the equipping of the saints for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for this amazing reminder. And we ask that you would stir in us this desire to be part of this gospel team and figure out where it is that we need to step up in and to be available so that you can pour your grace in and through us so that we can be a blessing here in this body and even outside as we fellowship with others stirring us this desire to love jesus more we ask these things for your glory alone amen 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 and uh, thank you praise the lord uh, let's stand up together